Would you take your Bible and find John chapter 13? It comes right after chapter 12. John chapter 13, verse 1. If you get to chapter 14, you've gone a little too far. John chapter 13. This is Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter Sunday. Very good. You read your calendar this week. That's awesome. John chapter 13. Verse 1, it says, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Probably one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible is when the scripture tells us that, that Jesus is going to show us the full extent of his love. And he went and washed their feet. He showed them the full extent of his love. Now, this is the beginning of him showing his full extent of his love, was washing his feet. It says, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And that was custom in the day when someone came to your house for a meal. <clears throat> most people maybe had shoes, maybe they didn't have shoes. But most people's feet were dirty by the time they got to the house. And they smelled bad. And so the custom was <clears throat> that there was usually someone at the front door, a servant of some kind, who would wash your feet before you came into the house. Because they didn't eat sitting in chairs like we do where your feet are further away from your nose. They kind of reclined on, on couches, if it were. So your feet were at someone else's head, right? How many would you, would you like to do that today? Anybody? Right. No hands. Great. You, you chose wisely. So, so the custom was to wash the feet so they wouldn't smell while you're eating a meal. And apparently it hadn't happened at this meal. Things were happening kind of fast and... And so the feet didn't get washed. And Jesus says, time to wash your feet because y'all all stink. Okay. <laughs> he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Once again, a phrase we probably should never use with the Lord is no. Right? Right? Because just when you say no to the Lord, he just smiles and says, watch this. <laughs> or if you say, I'm not going to go do that. What happens next week, right? You get to go do that, right? Or I'm not talking to so-and-so. I'm never talking to them again, right? And sure enough, you go to Walmart, and there they are. You're in the line with them, right? And you've you got to talk to them. It's, be careful how you say no to God, right? Because he likes turning your no into a, watch this, watch this. It's always great to say yes to God. Then he's a little more lenient, I think. Right? Okay, I'm not going to make you run into that person this week. Maybe next week, but not this week, right? No, Lord. You should never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash... You shall have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not only my feet and my hands, but my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has, uh, has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. <clears throat> his whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone is clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned back to the table. Do you understand what I've done, he asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, 
and rightly so, for that is what I am. Uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, look, you're supposed to serve one another. He's saying, none of y'all are greater than anybody else in the room. That's what he was saying. He was saying, if I will wash your feet, then I'm setting you an example that even though I'm your teacher and your rabbi, I'm the leader here, I will humble myself and, and serve you. And that's the Christian's call. Every day when we wake up, we say, Lord, who can I serve? Who can I serve? If you're going to school, kids, and you're going to, <clears throat> to show up at school that morning, ask God, God, who can I serve today? If you're going to work, who can I serve today? And I promise you, God will answer that, that prayer. He will put somebody in your path that needs what you have on that particular day to help serve. And then Jesus went on with the rest of the story, the rest of the uh, several chapters here, where he, he goes to the cross and he serves us by dying on the cross. And so he set the example. He served by washing feet and he served by dying on the cross. Uh, now, this morning, we are going to take a look at a pamphlet. If you look in the chair in front of you, you'll see a pamphlet. If you don't have one, we have plenty. And in fact, we have some that you can take and give away. They're up here in the front row if you want to take and give some away. If you don't have one, if you'll lift your hand, I'll make sure you get one right now. <clears throat> Does everybody have a copy? Okay. Uh, if you'll notice on the front of the brochure, you know I like doing this from time to time and give you some take-home material. This brochure says Palm Sunday to Easter, the events that took place between Palm Sunday and Easter. So this is Palm Sunday, and of course next Sunday is Easter. And the events, as best we understand them, are recorded in this pamphlet. And so we're going to go over some of it today, just a little bit of it today. And I want you to take it home with you. And I want you to let this be your devotion this week. I want you to take the time to read the entire pamphlet. It's our, if you're listening to this podcast, this is a pamphlet from Rose Publishing. I want you to take the entire pamphlet, right, and just meditate on it all week long and ponder what Jesus did for us, what he went through for us. Uh, but today, I want to look at pages 3, 4, 5, and 6. Just the, just the time frame. Pages 3, 4, 5, and 6. You'll find the page numbers at the bottom there. So we're starting on, on page 3. We're starting on, on day Friday, which was just a couple of good days ago, Friday, where Jesus arrived in Bethany. And it says, Jesus arrived in Bethany six days before the Passover to spend some time with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And while here, Mary anointed his feet with costly perfume as an act of humility. This tender expression indicated Mary's devotion to Jesus and her willingness to serve him. So we see some more anointing of feet going on. Once again, this is somebody humbling themselves. And in the case of Jesus, she was anointing him before his death and burial because they didn't have time to properly anoint Jesus. God had put this on her heart to anoint him uh, before, his, uh, before his burial. And he was hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, why was Lazarus important? He'd been raised from the dead, right? Lazarus had died and was in heaven for like four days. And, you know, Jesus came to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And there's that one scripture, the shortest scripture in the Bible that you can all memorize is what? Jesus, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, 35, right? And 
And I told you my view on that. I think Jesus wept because he knew he was bringing Lazarus back from heaven. And Lazarus was having a great time, enjoying life. And Jesus said, look, I'm sorry you got to come back. I got a special assignment for you. And so Jesus wept in the fact that he had to bring his friend back from heaven and to die all over again. And so we find Jesus still hanging out with Lazarus. So they were still friends. Lazarus didn't get mad at him, right? Aren't you glad? Lazarus could have been really ticked, right? Man, I was enjoying heaven. You know, I was eating some manna along with some Krispy Kremes because they don't sell them anymore in Smyrna, right? <laughs> and he come knocking on my door asking me to come back down to earth where there's no manna and there's no Krispy Kremes. What's up with that, right? But apparently Lazarus was okay with it. He loved the Lord enough to serve him in that way. Would you serve God in that way? If you had made it to heaven, been there four days, everything's great, met all your loved ones who have gone before you, and Jesus came and said, I, I, I need you for an assignment. Would you go back for me? But you got to die all over again. How many of us would do that? Yeah. Well, Lazarus did. And so that took place. And then we've got Friday. And then Saturday comes along. It's the Sabbath day of rest. It's not mentioned in the Gospels. But since the next day was a Sabbath, the Lord probably spent the day in traditional fashion with his friends, worshiping the Lord in some way. And then Sunday, the first day of the week, which... You know, for us, we kind of tend to think of it as the last day, but it's, if you look at your calendar, it's actually the first day of the week, right? It's a triumphal entry, okay? On the first day of the week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling an ancient prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. It's interesting, there are quite a few prophecies from Zechariah that show up in the life of Jesus, and you'll see that as you study this brochure the rest of the week. The crowd welcomed him with Hosanna, and uh, the words of Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. Thus ascribing to him a messianic title as the agent of the Lord, the coming of the king of Israel. The Roman road climbed steeply to the crest of Mount of Olives. Barbara's been there. She could probably tell us more about that. Affording a spectacular view of the desert of Judea to the east and Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley to the west. Barbara, you saw that, right? Was it just like this is describing? When, he was, when they were crying Hosanna, that was... Uh, a phrase indicating that he was a king. And so you got all the Roman people standing around going, king, huh, what? And you got all the Jewish people going, who didn't like Jesus going, huh, what? And then you got all the people that knew Jesus who had performed miracles and signs and wonders in front of them going, he's got to be the king. We've never seen anybody do the miracles he does. And so you had these, these three crowds all scratching their head wondering what's going on. Monday rolls around. And the next day he returned to the temple and found the court of the Gentiles full of traders and money changers making large profits as they gave out Jewish coins in exchange for pagan money. And Jesus drove them out and overturned their tables. Now, the, the money changers is exactly what it says. They were swapping one currency for another. And some of them were selling sacrificial animals like a pigeon or a dove or something. And they were charging exorbitant rates, you know, for the animal. And so people were coming to worship on this particular weekend. They would travel for miles and miles and miles. Sometimes they would travel for days to get there. They couldn't bring their animals with them for sacrifice, so they had to buy one when they got there. Well, they wouldn't let them buy them with pagan money, so they had to swap pagan money for the money that the Jews had, right? You see how corrupt this became. And so the temple itself and the temple leaders, all the priests and so forth, were corrupt. They were hungry for money and and they were stealing from people, and Jesus didn't like it. And so he went in, and he overturned the tables. So they've got all their money sitting on the tables. Just get the pictures. Tables spread everywhere. Like, and there's money on top of these tables. Jesus made a whip, apparently, 
one of the stories, out of the cords that was used to tie up the animals. And he, and he chased them out. We often think of Jesus as meek and mild. I'm here to tell you, if, I, if I'm sitting at a table and somebody's coming at me with a whip that, it, that they took time to make out of rope, I'm going to move. I'm not going to stand and take that out. I'm going to get out of the way. This, this guy's crazy, right? So Jesus was not meek and mild here. This is not timid Jesus. This is not, this is not pansy Jesus, right? This is Jesus. Mad. Angry. Justifiably so. They had taken what was precious, God's temple. The church, we want to call it today. They had taken that and corrupted it. And corrupted it. So that was Monday. So you got to remember, all the Jewish people watching this, the Jewish people that liked Jesus, the Jewish people that didn't like Jesus were watching it, the Roman centurions and soldiers were watching what was going on, and then all the people that loved Jesus were watching this too. So this is stirring things up. Tuesday, Jesus starts talking in parables. And here's the parable where he talks about the temple's going to be torn down and rebuilt in three days. He was talking about himself. He gives prophecies about end times. He gives prophecies about how bad it's going to be when the temple's going to fall. He starts telling all these things. Once again, you've got three crowds listening. People that love him go, oh, wow, tell me more. You've got the Jewish people who hated him. They just wanted to kill him right then. Then you've got the Roman people going, what is this guy talking about? Because they were, they were pagans. They had no idea what Jewish thought was. So he talks in parables, and his disciples called him off the side and said, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Wednesday is the day of rest. Thursday is the Passover and the Last Supper. In an upper room, Jesus prepared both himself and his disciples for his death. He gave the Passover meal a new meaning. The loaf of bread and the cup of wine represented his body, soon to be sacrificed, and his blood soon to be shed. And so he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And after singing him, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed in agony, knowing what laid ahead of him. Now, we just read John chapter 13. This is all part of, of Thursday. Friday rolls around and we have the crucifixion. Following betrayal, who betrayed him? Who? Judas. Judas. Don't name your dog Judas, right? Or your cat or anything Judas, right? Or your kids, especially your kids. Don't do that, right? Following betrayal, rest. You can name your cat Judas because they really are. I mean, that's just, <laughs> cats are just like, you know. They only want you when they want you, right? You call their name. You can't, you can't teach a cat to obey, right? You can't even walk a cat. You ever tried walking a cat? I did one time. I put a little harness on it and thought I'd take it outside and walk it. It climbed up my leg. Do you know what your leg looks like after a cat climbs up your leg? <laughs> It is shredded. I'm talking about shredded wheat, right? It's just toast. I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> Father's betrayal, arrest, desertion, false trials, denials, condemnations, beatings, and mockery. Jesus was then required, after all that, to carry his own cross to the place of the skull, where he was crucified with two prisoners, right? And so the prisoners were thieves, murderers. You know, we don't know the whole story behind all this, but it was... The cruelest form of punishment ever, right? Crucifixion. You basically suffocated in the fluids that built up in your lungs. Because when you hung on the cross, you couldn't stand up enough to, uh, for the oxygen to, to properly get out of your lungs and in your lungs. And so you, you suffocated in fluid in your lungs very slowly. And if you didn't die by the sundown, they came and jabbed a spear up into your heart to make sure you were getting dead. And most people died 
when the spear went into their heart. That's how most people died, crucifixion, because they would hang around all day for hours and not be able to die. And that's why when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. But the Romans said, well, we're just going to make sure, because that was a practice to make sure. Friday afternoon, Saturday, and Sunday morning, that's how we get three days, counting by Jewish time. Any part of a day was a day. And so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is three days. Although it seems like in time it's only like two days worth of hours, but it's three days is how they accounted for it. Jesus is in the tomb. Now we know from other scriptures that he went and preached to people who had died before the cross. Right? He went to preach to those who were kind of waiting to hear the good news. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these guys and gals who lived before. He preached to them. They trusted in him. Many of them did, the Bible says. And so he wasn't just laying there. He was busy about the Father's work because God's not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance in the tomb. And then Sunday is the resurrection. Early in the morning, women went to the tomb and found that the stone closing the tomb's entrance had been rolled back. An angel told them Jesus was alive. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden, to Peter and to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And later that day to all the disciples except Thomas. His resurrection was established as a fact. Now, let's do the countdown. We've got the countdown on the cross. Jesus was, you can see this is a, an approximate time frame. We don't know the exact hour or minute where these things took place. But this gives you an idea of what Jesus' last day looked like as he approached the cross. And so somewhere around 6 o'clock in the morning, you can see the time frame. Uh, he was arrested. He went before Pilate right uh, then he returned and went before Herod so forth and shortly before eight o'clock perhaps he was sentenced right and you know I find nothing wrong with this man but since I find nothing wrong with this man I'm still going to send him to the cross anyway it's kind of it's terrible and so the Bible says that the ninth hour they crucified Jesus so from six in the morning to nine right this this part of the crucifixion was taking place nailing him to the cross making him carry his cross to Golgotha, where it was placed into a hole in the ground and where he was suspended uh, two or three feet off the ground, four or five feet off the ground. And nobody knows exactly. Uh, when you see the crosses that are you know, 20 feet tall, that's probably not what it was. It was probably closer to a couple of feet off the ground is all it was. Uh, nonetheless, he was crucified between these two, two thieves. One of them reviled him and one of them repented on the cross, right? And what did Jesus say? Today... You'll be with me in paradise, right? And so even, even the last moment of someone's life, if they truly repent, if they truly repent, um, then Jesus will say, today she'll be with me in paradise. One of them did, one of them didn't. And then the rest of the story from 9 o'clock on, he's hanging on the cross and he's, he's got these, uh, these statements that he's making from the cross and we studied that a couple of years ago and somewhere around 3 o'clock, Jesus died. So, Nine hours, nine hours of agony. And that's on top of all the agony he suffered by, you know, by being beaten before he was crucified, by them taking a whip and beating him with a whip. And it wasn't just a plain whip that had cords nicely woven together. It had bone in it and rock and stones woven into this whip. So every time it hit his back, his bare back, it tore flesh off. Right? And he was beaten how many times? 39 times because in Jewish culture if you were beaten 40 times 
it would, it would result in death. That was kind of how they thought. 39 times he, he was beaten. And then on top of that, he had to endure the cross. So nine hours, nine hours on what we call Good Friday. It's good for us, bad for Jesus, obviously. But it was good for us, nine hours. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he invest nine hours of his life in sheer agony? Why? Thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, the story goes of the one home the one-room schoolhouse, right? Back in the day, all the kids would come and they'd meet in one room, and all ages. Right? You had the 12-year-olds with the 6-year-olds and the 15-year-olds, and they were all in one room and getting an education. And at the start of class, a certain teacher would have the students decide what punishment people would get for breaking the rules. And so she listed the rules, and the students got to decide what the punishment was. And the punishment for stealing was three whacks on the back with a hickory stick. That's what they used for punishment. And so one day, little Johnny came to school. And little Johnny had not had anything to eat for a couple of days because his family was very, very poor. And somewhere during the day, little Johnny uh, stole a lunch and ate it off in the corner when no one was looking because he was starving. And as the day went along, they found out that he had stolen the lunch. And so the teacher called him up and said to the front of the class, did you steal this lunch? Yes, I did. And she looked on the board, and sure enough, the punishment was three whacks on the back with a hickory stick. And so she said, come up here. You're going to have to be punished. And so she made him come up to the desk and put his hands on the desk. She made him take his coat off because it wouldn't be fair to whack him with a stick with his big coat on. He took his coat off, and he didn't have a shirt on because he was too poor to own a shirt. And the teacher's going, I can't do this. I can't do this. How can I? How can I do this? He's hungry. He doesn't have a shirt. I've got to hit him on the back three times. This is the rule. This is the punishment. She said, maybe if I just close my eyes, maybe if I just close my eyes, I can get through this. So she closed her eyes, and she read back with a stick, and she whacked three times like she was supposed to. And when she opened her eyes, to her surprise, Big Ben, one of the 15-year-olds, had come up and stretched himself over little Johnny and had taken the beating for little Johnny. You know, you and I are the little Johnnies. We've all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus has come up and been over and said, I'll take that punishment. When we were poor and destitute, when we stole, when we lied, when we cheated, when we defrauded, Jesus said, I got this. I got this. What was it that sent Jesus to the cross? Don, it was your sins that sent Jesus to the cross. Mother Teresa, it was your one sin you precious saint. It was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Jackie, 
It was your sins. Jesus chose to go to the cross because of your sins. Laura, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. David, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. Gary, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. Jerome, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. Janice, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. Melanda, Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sins. It was my sins. It was your sins that Jesus chose to go to the cross and spend nine hours in agony. But it was more than just the beating. It was more than just the assault on his body and his mind with all the horrible things they said to him. It was an assault on his fellowship with his father. You see, it was my sins. It was my sins that made Jesus break fellowship with his father. The most important thing in Jesus' life was his relationship to his father. The most important connection he ever had was his relationship to his father. It was the most precious thing in his life was talking to his father and hearing his father talk to him all day long, just perfect communion. He was perfectly aligned with his father's will. And my sin, my sins, separated Jesus from his father. Brenda, your sins separated Jesus from his father. Ken, your sins separated Jesus from his father. James, it was your sins that separated Jesus from the fellowship that he had with his father. What a sacrifice. And he knew this was going to happen because the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That means that was the plan all along. And Jesus knew that for a period of time he was going to be separated from his father. That's why Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What have I done wrong? Why? He knew the answer. But for the sake of those around, he, they needed to know he had been separated from his father because of their sin. When I think about that, when I think about that, there, there, I think about four things. The first thing, it makes me want to repent. When I think about what Jesus did for me, it makes me want to repent of every sorry attitude I've ever had every negative thought I've ever had. It makes me want to repent of every chance I had to tell someone about Jesus and I didn't. It makes me want to repent and just stay there and repent and repent and repent for what I didn't do that I knew to do or what I did that I shouldn't have done. When I think about what Jesus did for me, giving up a relationship with his Father, if just for a brief moment, it makes me want to repent. You know, Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I would tell us this morning we need to repent because the kingdom of God is, is at hand. When I think about what he did for me, it makes me want to repent. But secondly, the second thing, it makes me have greater respect. Every time I think about this, greater respect for what Jesus did. The bravest man that I know. You know we have TV programs and movies that Show the greatest man and the strongest man, the bravest man. That's child's play. You know, that's all Mr. Rogers compared to what Jesus did. Right? Right? 
the bravest man I know, he, Scott, he took your sin. He looked into your life and said, look at all these sins here that they've accumulated. I've got to do something with it. But he chose that. And he chose the sin of the billions of people that will ever live on this planet. He said, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. He looked at your sin and said, I'll take that. All of them. Would, would we do that for anybody? I wouldn't. Jesus did. Just makes me respect him so much more every time I think about that. We could use the word reverence or revere in the place of respect. I think respect maybe is a better word for us in our culture today because nobody respects anybody anymore. Very little respect for anything, our Constitution or, or the Bible. Or it's just respect has gone out. So I'm going to use the word respect in the place of revere today. It just makes me respect what Jesus did more and more. Respect him as the human that he was and as the God that he is took on flesh and then allowed that flesh to be bruised and beaten beyond recognition for me just makes me respect him so much more third thing it makes me do though it makes me remember it makes me remember we take the lord's supper every sunday here and jesus said do this as often as you remember me or as you remember me as often as you remember me do this and that's why we take communion every Sunday is to remember what he did his broken body and his shed blood that's what this represents nothing magical nothing mystical in these elements up here but there's something meaningful in them deeply meaningful it makes me remember what he did and we need to remember that as Christians we need to remember what Jesus did for us this pamphlet this brochure that you have I hope you'll spend this week pondering it and just remembering some of the little details I just I just barely covered it there's a lot of detail in here, a lot of detail, a lot of prophecy. There's some of the pro prophetic words on the other side that talk about it. And then Jesus knew that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was 12, he was in the Bible, uh, he's in the, in the temple reading the Bible, uh, the Old Testament. And he told him, he said, it must be about my father's business. I found out what I'm supposed to do. I found out my assignment. It's right here in the scripture, Zechariah and so forth, Isaiah, the Psalms. It's all written here. I understand what I'm supposed to do as a 12-year-old. And then he went and did it as a 33-year-old. But the fourth thing, the last thing, when I think about this, it just makes me want to rejoice. It makes me want to rejoice that I'm going to be with Jesus for all eternity. I'm currently with Jesus for all eternity. I'm going to be with Jesus for all eternity. It just makes me want to rejoice that the person who took all my sin, shame, sorrow, blame, all that into himself, I get to spend all eternity with. And you know what? I get to tell him every day, every day in heaven, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I get to walk up to his face to face and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. All day, every day. All day. I can do that in this life, yes. But in that life, he's going to be there face to face. I can look at his nail-scarred hands. Right? The Bible says, we read about it in Revelation, I saw one as a lamb who looked like he was slain from the foundation of the world. And when we see Jesus, we're going to see him as king of kings and lord of lords, but also as the lamb who was slain for our sins. Makes me want to rejoice and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah. This morning, I just want to call us to think this week about Jesus, what he did for us. And then 
We've got plenty of these brochures. I would like for you to find someone to share this with. Maybe sit down and have coffee with them and say, can we read this together? Can we just read pages 3, 4, 5, and 6 together? Or pages 1, 2, and 3, something. Find somebody that's not a believer. Or maybe somebody that is and has walked away from church. And say, can we just share this together? And let's see what God will do. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. You loved us so much that you sent your son to suffer so much for us. So we give you thanks. We rejoice and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us so much you sent your Son. And we say, thank you, Jesus. We rejoice in what you did. We, we say thank you because we could not save ourselves. We're just little Johnnies. We need a big Ben in our life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the big Ben in our life taking our punishment into you so that we don't have to suffer that punishment. And I pray, Jesus, that right now, if there's someone here that has never trusted in you as Lord and Savior, that they would today, that they would say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you today as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I'm trusting in you today as my Lord and Savior. Just pray that prayer to Jesus right now. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And I hope if you've done that this morning, you'll come share that with me afterwards after we finish singing, that you'll let me know what you've done so that I can pray with you. Holy Spirit, come now. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us. Enter into this building. Enter into our hearts and our minds and our emotions. Enter into our memories. Whatever you want to enter into, come, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us this morning. We repent. We repent. And we rejoice. Come Holy Spirit and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.